Hello, and welcome to Unsheep with your hosts, Kyle Gold and Cam Hirosaki. We hope that you enjoy the program. Please stick around afterwards. There'll be cake and blowjobs. Hi, welcome to Unsheathed, episode number 83. That's uh, three times seven. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, I'm, uh, I don't know, multiplication challenged Kyle Gold. <laughs> and I've never learned how to do math cam here, Saki. <laughs> and we're joined tonight by a very special guest who is always with us, but is no less special for that. Um, welcome tech-savvy wolf kit who has a microphone in front of him good evening kyle it's like how after obi-wan kenobi is dead but he appears to luke as a spirit on dagobah <laughs> and who had 15 seconds in the poll <laughs> well considering that like we had that one episode where you called out how late into the episode we went i intentionally wanted to get one uh, like right at the starting gate we are our listeners going to start a game whereby they predict how far into the episode a star wars reference comes up and we'll have to God, I would rig the betting pool. Yeah, you have to not bet. We have not I have too many alts on taps, and I could, like, totally, like... Well, they won't do it on taps. But taps is made for doing it. Oh, wait. That isn't what you meant. No. All right. Um, we are into... Well, technically not quite yet into summer, but... No, and, not uh, yet. California doesn't seem to know that we're supposed to be close. God, it feels like it's January... I know, seriously. Like the weather? It was almost 50 degrees the other day. It was pouring rain, too. <laughs> um, I've been kind of puttering on a couple different projects here and there. Um, both of the latest things I finished are out being either not being thought about by me or being read by other people. So... Um, I'm looking forward to Rocky Mountain Furcon, which happens in just over two months, at which uh, we'll be guest of honor. And hopefully, uh, Rukus and I are planning a couple panels that should be a lot of fun, and we hope to have a good time. KM? Let's see. So my current quest, dare I call it a mission, is to finish my current draft of Summerhill before I leave for Anthrocon, which is in about two weeks. Uh, and I think I can do it. I think that at the pace I've been going over the last week or so, and knowing how much is left of the story, I think it will be possible. God's beats are otter. I want this story to be done. I'm so sick of it. <laughs> so do all no. our listeners. <laughs> yeah, but... I mean, they're not sick of it, but they just No, I mean, the done. thing is, like, they, like, playfully tease me, like, hey, come on, when are you going to finish it? And I'm like, I promise you I want this done faster than you want than you want it. But no, uh, actually, just last night, I posted my in-progress chapter one online, which hasn't really gotten a lot of response yet, A, because it's only been up for a day, and go look at it right now, B, because when you post things over the weekend, and as people don't notice them very yeah, readily. Califer's going on this weekend, so I'm Oh, that's true. How many people does Califer get? I don't know, at least 20. Yeah. Down in, down in SoCal, so far from our mountain bunker. I know. It's sad. And um, Kit is on the show for a reason. Hi, Kyle. <laughs> uh, so the projects I've been working on are, are uh, kind of refocusing on Unsheathed a bit. So we've had a request about the uh, teaser episode, which I had hinted at um, 
wow, probably a couple months ago at this point. Yep. Um, I'm so, teasing. So <laughs> we'll put that to the test next week. Yes, indeed. So the challenge will be, so what we're going to do is in episode 84, uh, Kyle and Cam Hirosaki are both going to have kind of basically their teaser of their pitch for each of their two respective books. Um, I think and the pitch would be something that we would present to somebody who we wanted to take an interest in the book, something like that we would give to an editor or a publisher. Right. So basically the, the, it's kind of the way we think of it in the business world is the elevator pitch. So basically you're in an elevator, you've hit uh, 10th level, you got it on the first level, and you have that long to give your pitch before they walk out of the elevator. I think the, the, the example that I'd always heard around here was um, you get in the elevator and Steve Jobs gets in the elevator with you. You have until you get to the ground floor to tell him about your brilliant idea and make him interested in it. But it could apply to anything. If you're in LA, you know, you get on the elevator and Steven Spielberg walks on with you and he's like, man, I wish I could find something to do for my next movie project. You have, you know, two minutes to convince him that your story is the one that he wants to film. You get onto a turbo lift and Luke Skywalker walks on. <laughs> you have 30 seconds to convince him why you should be a Jedi. Exactly. So this is our first round. So we're actually going to do Sorry. a little bit longer than 30 seconds. Uh, I was thinking two minutes, but uh, keeping in mind... And is that a hard limit? It is a hard limit. So okay. two minutes, anything over two minutes, cut right there. So awesome. I, I recommend... So what we're, what, what we're going to do is actually um, during the summer, I'm going to... Well, we'll post this to the liner notes for this show, but basically the instructions will be um, over the next month or so, record your pitch um, and send us the file. And I can work with you to get the file. It's not a problem. If you don't know how to send it, we'll put an FTP information up online. You can send it to us this way. If it's two minutes of recording, you should be able to mail it. If not, work with me. I could perhaps do a Skype session where I actually record it for you as well. So I'll be working with you guys. Um, once we get all these pitches in, I'll put them all together as a, a pitch show, basically back to back to back to back. Um, um, so next week, what we'll have is from Cam Harrisocki and Kyle, an example of a pitch to kind of help you guys figure out you know, the format and, and what you're trying to do. Yep. And um, do you want them to contact you just through the unsheathedpodcast at gmail.com address, or do you want to set up a, a different one? Uh, you can send it there, or you can email me at kit at kylegold.com. Okay. So if you're confident in your recording and you just want to set up, send your pitch, record your pitch and send it in, yep. just send it to unsheathedpodcast at gmail.com. If you need technical assistance or you have questions or anything like that, send inquiries to kit at cowgold.com. That's yep. K-I-T at K-Y-E-L-L-G-O-L-D dot com. Exactly. And this can be a pitch for a, a novel, a short story, a, a comic book. And, and also, I, I want to be clear that this is more of an exercise in pitching. It's not that if you're going to pitch us things, we're necessarily then going to do something with them. <laughs> we're not promising to edit your novel. <laughs> yeah, right? we're, not, we're not. Or read your novel or care about your novel. However, our show will be online. So yeah. if. Um, yes, exactly. What we will be doing is encouraging lots of people to come in and listen to that episode and listen to those pitches. Right. And they'll be like, by golly, I think that sounds like a gold mine. <laughs> That little now, product you put together is a real humdinger. Now let me get back in my time machine and go back to 1930 and invest in it. <laughs> oh, Biff Tannen. <laughs> Thanks, Kyle. Sure. Well, thank you for joining us, and we're going to draft you to help us uh, read and answer some questions while we're at it. Most excellent. If your pitch is ridiculous, I reserve the right to laugh about it behind your back off the air. We may actually laugh on the air. Uh, we may. We will 
we will have to see how how we put it together whether we want to do a uh like maybe um maybe the three of us will select the best pitch and then maybe we'll laugh about all others on the fr- on the subsequent show <laughs> look at what this person thought was worthy of unsheathed <laughs> so keep in mind when you're sending your pitch in you are putting it out there in the public and it's like asking a girl out to prom or asking a guy out to prom it's like asking a guy or a girl out to prom at a school assembly on stage in front of the entire high school being videotaped so it's like the end of an 80s like teen romance movie yes exactly it's too bad john hughes is dead that would be a great elevator pitch for him uh i would pour out this glass of wine in his honor but it's the last of the bottle so i won't it's a delicious 2008 cake bread cellars merlot uh, and I'm back on the Coke Zero myself. Kit, what are you drinking today? Cake bread, if you want to write me a check. Drinking a uh, 2011 Crystal Geyser orange uh, flavor, sparkling mineral water. Geyser, by the way, is a borderline word to use in an adult story. There is a slang term in Japanese, which means geyser, but it is also a rude slang term for female ejaculation. Wow. Yeah. That's the first and probably last time we will ever talk about that on Unsheathed. I'm just trying to think of a way to work in a brothel where one of the women's nicknames Old Faithful. <laughs> See, but now if I I'm think thinking of like a, a woman of ill repute named Old Faithful, I think it's something completely different. Yeah, so do I. Old Reliable. <laughs> <laughs> old Ironsides. She ain't that pretty, but she gets the job done. <laughs> Oh, hookers. <laughs> Live hookers. <laughs> I hasten now. to point out. I don't know. Old Reliable doesn't sound like she'd be around much longer. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> those, old, uh, those old iron sides keep chugging along for a while. Can we please move on to the next part of the discussion, Kyle? <laughs> please, before I, before I bring up the name Mary Mac. Ah! <laughs> no! Sorry, obscure Civil War reference. Um, I'm going to, uh, since you've, you've been already reading the second letter, I'm going to let you read the second one, and I think I will let Kit read the third one, so I will take the first and fourth. So here we go. Hey there, Sheathers. I've been working on my novel a bit over the past month or so, and after starting the beginning over again on Candrel's suggestion, I have to say that I'm having difficulty with it. Now, the main thing that concerns me is a bit of advice that Candrel gave to me. He said, show, don't tell. And after having me rewrite my beginning a few times, I can see the difference. But it's not easy to keep it going. Sometimes it's just the slightest difference. Now, when I'm able to ask Candrel, he can easily point out to me how I should change my tells into shows. But I need to be able to do so on my own. So do you have any advice as to how I can best tell the difference between telling and showing in my novels? Your aspiring novelist, Jay Hopkins, a.k.a. Sai the Cheetah. Hey, Sai. Hey, Sai. Sai. Um, so, show and tell is one of those old saws that's actually, um, it's, it, people kind of go through stages, at least yeah. my experience is people go through stages with it in their writing. Like, initially, I thought... Okay, show, don't tell. And I thought I understood what it meant. And then I went through a phase where I thought, but sometimes you have to tell because showing is so inefficient. And then I went back on it and said, actually, there are rare times where telling, like yeah. if you're in summary rather than scene, you kind of want to, Yeah, you, you have to tell, but 
that all gets back to the choice of are you doing summary or are you doing scene? And if it's something that's important enough to be a scene, then you kind of you, you want to show. Um, one, uh, this is not a great rule or anything. Yeah. But I will say that if you're using the verb to be, like if you're writing in past tense and you're using was or were, um, that is an indication that you're telling. It's and if not the case all the time by yeah. any means but it's mostly like don't take that as a 100% thing cause right it's, it's um, my brain indication. is going to start pulling up examples and I don't want to do that because I'll just muddy the issue <laughs> right but the idea is that you don't want to say something like Sai the Cheetah was happy to hear his letter read on Sheet because then what you're doing is telling the reader this was his state of mind and the reader doesn't have to do any work yeah but if you say like you know, he perked his ears up and his tail started lashing about as he heard his letter read. And you're like, okay, do cats do that when they're happy, right? What are, are cats ever happy? What do they do? I don't know. I think they stare at things on walls when they're happy. I think cats purr. Oh, there you go. But don't cheetahs not purr? I don't. Are cheetahs cats? I, I know cheetahs don't retract their claws. They're semi-retractile. Are they? Yes. I thought they were non-retractile. I think they're just semi. Oh, okay. Oh, wait, they can't roar. I know that. Yeah, they can't roar, but I don't think think they purr. Do they? I don't know. Anyway, the difference is... If If you know what sound a cheetah makes, tell us. If if you're describing what's going on and forcing the reader to interpret what's going on, then you're showing. Yeah. If you're simply explaining what's going on, then you're telling. And the reason you don't want to do that is because you want to engage the reader. You want to make the reader work a little bit because then they're more invested in the story yeah that's good advice all around actually a good actually a really good example on that and to sort of bring it on to what our show is nominally about like if you're writing a sex scene one of the things like just describing what sex is like is really boring really fast like if you're older than 14 like reading and then he stuck himself into the fox and thrust and it felt good like that's going to you know, it, it, it there's not saying. appeal. You need to sort of, you know... It's kind of like watching porn. It's fun the first few times when you turn 18, and then it becomes old real fast. Then to make porn fun, you have to watch it and rewind. Uh, <laughs> then, or, it's, then it's hilarious. Then it's entertaining for reasons that are completely non-sexual, but it's way more entertaining. And, and by porn, I should con- uh, clarify that I mean pornographic videos, like oh, movies. Well, don't read don't read stories backwards. Right. And don't look at pictures on FA upside down. That won't really do any good. No, but you can flip them. You can't and then you can see where the artist made all their anatomy mistakes. <laughs> oh, it ruins the magic. But anyway, anyway, as you're saying. Yeah, as I was saying, you know, getting into the emotional reactions of the participants, getting into how they react physically when certain acts are performed or when certain things are, you know, done to them, that is sort of the, that, that's what makes sex interesting to experience vicariously, if I can say that. Would you say that yeah. that's fair? Okay. I think so. Um, yeah, and again, it's uh, it's one of those things that, that you see in movies a lot, and I'm trying to think of a movie I saw recently that we could... Um, I don't think we necessarily 100% agreed on this, but um, Kit and I saw Thor, and you saw it uh-huh. also recently, but separately. And one of the one of the issues we had with Thor was um, Natalie Portman meets um, 
Wow. How Chris Hemsworth. Chris Hemsworth, right. I can remember the name of the female actress, but not the guy yeah. with the chest. Um, Natalie Portman meets the guy with the chest. and Chris Hemsworth. <laughs> um, and then, at another point in the movie later, she's in love with him. And essentially what happens is, we're told she's in love with him. Yeah. And that, it's, that's pretty much that. And that's the difference between showing and telling is is basically that if you if you if you saw thor it's there's a transition and now we're told something happened so that she's in love with him and it's not very fulfilling because yeah. you don't know what it is that he did apart from having a really nice chest that um that made her fall in love with him and maybe that was enough but then you don't know why she reacted the way that she did right yeah i mean the the problem there is twofold one is that it was shoehorned into a story that didn't need it and two it was poorly set up and right barely if at all justified but it's sort of a cinematic analogy to the show rather tell rather than show yeah no and actually my housemate and i were talking about uh thor the other night because we actually saw we saw x-men first class together which is a much better movie it is it is much more you know enjoyable and coherent as a film and I know you haven't seen it, so I won't give spoilers, but yeah, we were basically we talking about, now that we've seen X-Men First Class, let's talk about everything that Thor did wrong. <laughs> and so, yeah, I mean, there's, it was a, it was a fun action movie, it wasn't a good film, is my, you know, rundown of Thor. No, I agree with that. It was, uh, it was very pretty. I loved uh, Loki, but um, it told you a lot. Yeah. It yeah. didn't, it didn't have a lot of emotional buildup. And then it has problems with what it doesn't tell you. Like, oh, he's fallen into the Odin sleep. And it's like, okay, like, does this happen a lot? Do you not have a plan for how it's, like the line of succession works when he just sort of falls unconscious? Like, has this never happened before? You make it sound like this has happened before, but you don't seem to have a contingency for it. Why is that? Tell us, movie. Or better yet, show us, movie. Exactly. Um, also, with that excuse, I'm going to tell my Thor joke real briefly. Okay. Um <laughs> Which was it when uh, Loki is riding Odin's horse, Sleipnir? Mm-hmm. Um, I really wanted Sleipnir to turn around and say, "Mom, get off my back!" Ah, <laughs> uh, oh, Norse mythology, mythology, I love it. Norse mythology humor. Uh, so I think that I mean we could probably do an entire show on show don't tell. Yeah, it um, is one of like the big like maxims of writing, and it's it's one of the ones that people tend to kind of misinterpret a lot. It's up there with Murder Your Darlings. Yeah, yeah. not as much as Murder Your Darlings, yeah. but but yeah, they have people sort of are like, but I have to tell, I'm telling a story. I'm not yeah. showing a story and uh, anyway. But yeah. We've 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 made our position clear. So, read for us our following next person. Okay. Dearest tidings to you, sly, sleek and silence. Oh, don't call him silence. The silence are terrifying. <laughs> And the, he's not silenced this episode. No, he's not. So he's, he can't be. God, the silence are like possibly scarier than the weeping angels. I'm not sure. Doctor Who. <laughs> I'm glad you caught that. Well, Fuzzwolf tweets about it all the freaking uh, that's time, true. so it's hard not to. The mid-season finale was so good. I, Elijah Lapso, do hereby send you this email in hopes of seeking a bit of knowledge from the of you. I, I, I don't think that scans. <laughs> from the three of you. Oh, <laughs> that would make a lot more sense. <laughs> From the three of you. 
<laughs> Sorry, and I laughed, so I messed your sentence up. <laughs> yes, even you, good Sir Kit. Below you shall find my questions and whom they are directed towards. Should that be to whom they are directed? With that, <laughs> sorry. With that said, if anyone has something to contribute, if you're going to nitpick all the, I wholeheartedly email, bequeath unto you the knowledge. Ooh, bequeath. That's a good word. That I wish to know any thoughts or additions that may come to the minds of the cast. As a beginning writer, with hopes of one day seeing my notations in printed form, I would be mo- it would I would be most unwise to deny myself the chance to seek knowledge for some of the greatest liter- literary minds in the fandom. And so they're not why are you emailing us? <laughs> on their behalf. <laughs> With that said, let my questions commence. My first question is for KM. Dearest Otter, when you are approaching a scene in which knowledge the reader has yet to acquire is needed, do you think... <laughs> Apparently, reading this email more carefully in advance would have been needed for me. Uh, do you find it best to inform them of the required information prior to that scene, or simply leave them wondering until such time as you choose to let them know what is really happening behind the scenes? Should I read these all and then we'll cover them? Yeah. Yeah. It's because I'm having a hell of a time reading this, apparently. To Kyle, I seek knowledge of how to go about inserting detail into... <laughs> Sorry. I, I almost I, I just saw inserting into places, and I was like, oh, that's about inserting detail into my stories in places where they would otherwise be lacking. There's lots of lube. There's no such thing as too much lube. Oftentimes, I will come into a scene and find myself needing to add substance to the bulk uh, of the text to help me better set a scene, and yet in many cases, I can't find any details that the reader need honestly be aware of. How would you best resolve this issue? For you, Kit, I seek knowledge of wines, which, as of the time of my writing this letter, March 11th, 2011, I am unable to enjoy myself. Oh, wow. However, at the end of this year, I shall be of proper age to... unable to enjoy the wines himself. I was going to say, if you have a problem with that, again, use lots of lube. Uh, Like Kyle said, come on. Don't use a wine bottle yet. Ah! Ah! Anyway, at the end of this year, I should be a proper issue to consume that forbidden drink. It's just a forbidden drink. And will be... I, this, like, didn't print out right. Something, something celebrating with a fine glass of wine. I enjoy celebrating. Ah. Have you any suggestions to offer? I seek knowledge for a... Friend. Friend for well. when she admits to indulging in a glass of wine as a diversion from her studies. There you have it, my potentially pantsless and most certainly sheath-retracted friends. Uh, you're making a lot of assumptions there, Buddo. A question for each of you in the answer, in which the answer need not come from the one I specify. I hope all goes well with you in your secret mountain bunker, and I trust this email to arrive promptly, uh, aside though it may not be answered promptly, despite the often shady connection I have here in my secret cornfield outpost. Like well, <laughs> best wishes, and keep those pants in the proper places. The floor. The ever-procrastinating Elijah Lapso. All right. Well... Question number one. Question KM, number one. How do you? How I think we've talked about this a little bit, but when you're writing a scene, and the reader doesn't know things that they need to know, right? This is something that you need to. If you're going to withhold information, it needs to be deliberate and not just because you haven't gotten around to mentioning it yet. Right. And I mean, this falls and there under. There needs to be a point to yeah, withholding it. Exactly. I mean, this this definitely falls under the category of a a literary technique that you need to learn how to use. You can't just wing it. It's like I'm trying to think of a good example here, where I mean, it can be done for 
effect of surprising the reader. Where, for example, if you've started a scene and you haven't said who one of the participants is, mm-hmm. you know, maybe it's because you want them to assume that it's somebody else, and then when they do find out that it is somebody completely different, they're surprised. Or, you know, maybe you're setting up a mystery and you have a discussion that happens at the beginning, which, you know, upon a subsequent read through, the context will make more sense. But if you knew who was saying this now, it would ruin. You know, the mystery of, you know, who's, like, conniving and doing this evil plot. Or, you know, if, surprise, it's a girl, <laughs> or something like that. Actually, I, yeah, you did that in the beginning of Out of Position. Right. Um, surprise yeah, is not a girl. And I would I would say, um, yeah, I don't know how much of a surprise it was to anyone who's familiar with my work, but... Um, oh, didn't somebody email you saying, like, oh my god, you tricked me, and then it was hot? <laughs> I think more often I get surprised emails from straight people saying, oh my god, it was hot, and then you tricked me. <laughs> um, and now I'm confused. Yeah, like Tev, read the rest of the book to figure out how to deal with that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think, you know, as we, as we talked about with the show Don't Tell, part of writing is you want to engage the reader. And if your story is basically... Um, you know, these people are plotting a murder. Here's these people plotting a murder. Yeah. Now these people are going to execute the murder. Here's these people executing the murder. Now these people are going to hide from the police. Here's the police looking for these people. You know, it's it's not very engaging if the reader is spoon-fed every bit of information necessary to process the story every step yeah. of the way. You need to eliminate the motive and construct an <laughs> alibi. Exactly. Crisscross. <laughs> um, and you really want... It, what engages the reader is puzzles and trying yeah. to figure things out. And you don't necessarily, that doesn't mean you start the story with something in which the reader has no idea what's going on. Yeah, because that's frustrating more than anything. But you, what you want is to create a little bit of tension. Um, let them know that something's coming up. Let them know that, you know, somebody is doing something a little bit out of the ordinary for some reason or another um and i i think i'm i'm kind of it, it would it feels to me like you're you're making some kind of mistake with the pacing and telling the story if you're approaching a scene in which the reader needs to know something that they haven't been told yet and yeah you and you haven't figured out how to tell them. Yeah, and to to use another analogy, and actually this was in something that I was just watching now, which this wasn't even intentional, but think about it if you're telling somebody a story and you get to a point where, you know, the reader needs, you know, information. Like, you know, if you were, like, just telling somebody a story and then you stop and go, oh, wait, in order for this next part to make sense, I need to go back and tell you this. Right. Like, oh, I, I forgot to mention this. So, like, right. let me stop and explain this so the next part makes sense. Yeah, you, you can't let yourself do that in writing. You need you need to find a way to thread the information in, like, organically and naturally earlier. All right. And the reason it worked in the thing that we were watching yeah. is that it was specifically set up as... Um, a very fourth wall breaking right. narrative device, which, you know, which was done specifically for effect, right. not not because the people who wrote it actually forgot, <laughs> right? So I, I'm I'm assuming I'm going to borrow a little bit, but I'm assuming you're you're talking about a scene that's something like, um, you know, I went to this party and I saw this girl that I recognized, and 
oh, it was, you know, it was this girl who grew up in my hometown, and I haven't told you about my hometown or growing up with this girl. Um, then, you know, what you need to do is work that in either work that information in or present it at the time it's needed. Like, you know, if you're just following this guy around and he's got a life and everything and he's, you know, whatever, and then he runs into this girl and be like, oh, it's so-and-so, it's you. We were six years old together in this grade school. And then the reader knows enough to understand what the relationship is and they can go on with the story. Yeah, I was actually just thinking, this was a few nights ago, about how... There is information that we don't need to impart because we know the audience. And I was specifically thinking about things like, you know, animal anatomy. How sheaths work. Well, like that and like and like knots where it's just like Yeah. When you're writing for furries, like we know, like you don't need to stop to explain what a knot is. It's just sort of like, okay, yeah, like that'll be there. And I just realized, you know, like if some regular person picked this up and read it, they'd be like, wait, what's going on? What knot? Why are they stuck? Like, what's this all about? And maybe I think I think some regular people do understand like dog anatomy. Well, I mean, and the thing is, and I was also thinking about this in context of history of the furry fandom, and how there was a time, and not even that long ago, where like knots weren't necessarily the norm. I mean, even in like ASB, there is like a little sidebar at one point with like an asterisk note explaining like this is what a knot is and why it works and like why this is an issue at this point because it's like even people who were reading furry comics like might not necessarily know like what was going on wow did they have knots uh there was one story i think it was one of the ones i think it was like like terry smith did an issue or something and there was a scene where like they're having sex in the shower and they get tied and then like somebody steals their stuff so they have to run out into the hall and it's comical because they're stuck together i think it was right. teeny took a picture of them yeah, 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 yeah. And they were like chasing after him. Uh, and then was it was Ricky the raccoon? It's like Ricky Raccoon had like his little sidebar explaining canine anatomy to the audience. Yeah, maybe that was it. Yeah. yeah. All right. Gotcha. I didn't think in the regular comic they had knots. I thought it was just human anatomy. But yeah, they, they, that's how they were usually drawn. But I think like for the for for the for the joke of this particular issue to make sense, like it needed to be there. So they're like, hey, little flag. All right, um, Kit. Anything to add about foreknowledge required and scenes and not whatnot? I, I was busy thinking about wine, so okay. I, I wasn't really listening. And knots. And um, now I'm thinking about wine and knots. So, all right. So the second one, detail into stories. I find it. it it's <laughs> the, the way again. The way your question's phrased is interesting, because you're like, I need to add substance to the bulk of the text to help better set a scene but I can't find any details that the reader need honestly be aware of. So clearly, you realize that the scene is lacking in some details, Right. but you don't know which details are lacking. I mean, I would think if you're... I, I yeah. Think about... I think what I usually tell people when they ask about detail is, imagine yourself as the character walking into the scene. Like, you walk into a restaurant. What's the first thing you notice in the restaurant? Well, if you're walking in to get a table, the first thing you want to look for is the host stand yeah. because you want to sign in and put your name down. If you're there to meet people, the first thing you do is scan the restaurant looking for the people. Yeah. But you'll notice the sounds. Right. There's usually you know bustling sounds, the, the clinks of people eating. Um, right. 
The smell. The smells. I was going to say, like, if you're impatient, probably the first thing you're going to do is, like, how many open tables do they have? Right. How long does is it, it going to take to see this? Yeah. Um, and are, are there a ton of people waiting? Yeah. Um, what's the lighting like? Is it bright? Is it dim? Is, are there decorations There's on the a walls? great episode of Seinfeld for this. <laughs> <laughs> Seinfeld? Four? Um... Well, I think the episode might have come out before Eli Lapso was born, judging by if he's not old it, enough to drink wine. It, it might have. <laughs> uh, I feel old now. No. No, I know. Because it started in... Like, 93? 92? It started in 92. Early 90s. It wasn't 90. No. Because th- actually, he would have been born in 91 if he's turning 21 yeah. next year. It was. It, it's close. It's cutting it close. Yeah, because um, Seinfeld was like 91 or 92, because yeah. it ended before September 11th. Yes, it did. But Friends started in 94 and went through September 11th, and Friends was often mocked as being a copy of Seinfeld. Right. So I think it happened a couple years after that. I, th- I want to say Seinfeld And the Chinese at restaurant episode was an early one. It was one. an early one. Yeah, yeah it, was it was like early season first or second season. Um, but, I mean, the same thing applies to anything. So... If you're if you're wondering what things the reader needs to be aware of, it's basically like what are the minimal details you need in order to set the scene? What are the most important things? Like what would you want to know about the place the characters walked into? Yeah. The dimensions of the space, the light, the smells, um go through all the five senses is another one. What is the ground, you know, is the ground carpeted or mm-hmm. tiled or ceramic or wood um is the air warm yeah is it overly is it anything out of the yeah. ordinary and again like if it's relevant yeah if it's not relevant you don't need to go into every detail and also i mean there are some details that you can pull out as needed that you don't necessarily have to set up in advance like i was just writing a scene the other day where you know i mentioned a character taking something out of their shirt pocket and I didn't mention earlier in the scene that, like, okay, they were wearing a shirt that had a pocket. Which, I mean, that's something. You know, like, not a lot of shirts have pockets, but enough do. Right, right. But the fact that, like, oh, he's wearing a pocketed shirt. Like, yeah, that wasn't, like, a detail that needed to be called out until he needed to reach into the shirt pocket. Right. And uh, another thing kind of to keep in mind is if you're when you're writing a, a novel or a long story with several scenes, kind of consistency of the type of details yeah. throughout the story so that you can contrast... Well, the restaurant is bright and loud, and the library is dark and quiet, and, you know, the house is bright and quiet. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, that the, kind, the, the same kind of details should be more or less consistent throughout the story. Yeah. And the other thing I would say is keep in mind that level of detail is something that hinges very much on style. Yeah. Don't overload on the detail because you feel obligated to. I mean, like, I know, like, for my, like, sake, I very rarely go into a lot of physical description. Yeah, like, here. And, like, you know, people say, like, hey, like, I went over to my friend's house for a party, and I'll talk about, like, hey, you know, there's people drinking, it's loud, folks are mingling, but I'm not, t- like, is it a one-story house or a two-story house? I don't know. I don't care. I probably, but there are people, yeah. But there are people who can do that. And, exactly. Um, one of the things that struck me, uh, I think this was in Palimpsest, um, Cat Valenti, um, Shout out. If you haven't listened to episode 81, go back and listen to it. It's awesome. It is awesome. Nine times nine. And <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> That's two more than three times seven. Cat Cat Valenti puts in a ton of detail into Palimpsest that are things that are probably not real relevant to the story as a whole, but they set the tone and uh, things like yeah, you know, sh- pear apple sparkling alcohol made from frozen winter pears and it, you're just like wow it's all yeah. really cool or like, she's talking about like the beetles yes and describing them as just like it's just this it paints this gorgeous mental image but i mean again that's part of her style and it's part of the book and it's and she can get you can get away with writing longer descriptions when you have that facility of language to make the descriptions enjoyable to read if you are not as good with descriptions, which I think is part of why I shy away from them. Yeah. And you're saying, you know, he walked into the house. The house was a large house, and the floor was tiled with alternate black and white tiles, and the walls were wallpapered with a red wallpaper that had a gold pattern on it. And you're just like, oh my god, stop describing things and tell me what happened. I actually think you did a really good job of describing, like, the, the big fancy house and it was at McMiniver's place in Miracle on 34th Sheath. I'm so embarrassed to even say the name of that story. I hate That's you okay. so much. <laughs> uh, you could also note that that same house is going to appear in an anthology that's being released at Anthrocon. Um, the Fortune Teller's Poem Anthology. My story in that also... Oh, God, you're right! ...has seen yeah, that Wow, house. it's been so long since I've read that story, I'd forgotten. I know. But... Um, so, yeah, oh, well, thank you. I, I appreciate that. And yeah. the bits that I've read of Summerhill, you know how much I like the descriptions in there. So, I, There are parts I need to go back and add a lot more. But, yeah. yeah. Anything to add, Kit, before we let you talk about wine? Yeah, I was just thinking the last things you guys kind of talked about, where it's you can use the description to really help the, set the tone of the scene. You know, focus on the things of the character, like the character with the pocket in his shirt. It says a little bit about the character. Um, and then you can use that. Is he a geek or... Is he like trendy or, you know, use those little details, add what you need to do to kind of help flesh out the emotion, the character development, the space. Okay. But wine. Wine. Which is really why we're all here. And generally I find for brand new wine drinkers, um, their palates are not quite ready for the, the big cabs or the uh, the Bordeaux. Yeah. The big jammy California reds. Yeah. yeah. You have to work your way into those. So, um, most of the time, people are into... Again, lube. <laughs> God, no. <laughs> I, I, I'm face-palming right now, which is uh, foreshadowing. Um, you have to work your way into... I mean, most of the time, they'll find they like the sweeter wines. That, yeah. Those are kind of the gateway wines. The sweeter wines are the ones that aren't uh, as tannic um, or sour. So what I would probably recommend is... Um, you know, there's diff- there's either really really sweet wines like dessert wines, mm-hmm. um, which may be too sweet, but uh, and, and t- those tend to be a little more expensive, and, and you don't really sit down with a big glass of dessert wine. You no. you have a small like a cordial like, glass, like four ounces yeah. or so. It's it's not like a uh, a wine you sit down and have during a meal. But there are uh, white wines, and there are semi sweet, uh, and there are blush wines actually. So white wines and blush wines yes. are the two I'd recommend. On the white wines, I'd recommend probably either uh, a Moscato or a Vignet. Um, perhaps a, I wrote down a couple here. Oh, a Gewürztraminer would be yeah. a good one. I was going to say Gewürztraminer or Riesling. A Riesling is a good one yeah. as well. Oh. Riesling is good. You can actually find pretty, a very good, like nice fruity, not too sugary Riesling. Uh, that's not too cheap. Uh, if you look for, it's uh, Chateau Saint-Michel. 
you can usually get a bottle for around like anywhere between like nine to fourteen dollars in that range. They'll usually have it at like Safeway or whatever your local supermarket chain is if they sell wine in your state, right. which in Massachusetts they don't. Um, but uh, yeah, like their reasoning probably is most it's like nice. cornfields. I'm not sure. Yeah, that they would. depends. That's probably on a county level, actually, out in the Midwest. I'm guessing Maybe state stores or yeah. Or well, I mean, if you have to go to a liquor store again, Chateau Saint Michel, it's not like a high end wine. You should be able to find it at a normal. Yeah, wine provider. And I would say true. Also, if you, if you really are starting out with wine, don't go and spend big bucks. You're not yeah. really going to be able to appreciate the the nuances of the expensive wines compared to yeah. The, Kim Harasaki's range of like nine to fourteen dollars is a pretty good range. Yeah, and I mean, like 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 Kit says, we could you know come out with some like forty dollar like you know like David Bruce Pinot Noir, which is probably going to be like thirty forty dollars a bottle, which is really good. But you know, again, if you don't have the palate for like a sophisticated like earthy red wine you're probably just going to hate it it's like coffee like until you've developed a taste for it you won't like it and you don't learn how to appreciate it until you've like drunk a lot of it so this is why kit so and how I do you, pity so, kyle so, so how does somebody work their way up to being able to appreciate that what would be like the next right step? so so those would be some whites um there are some reds that are not too bad you can go with the shiraz yeah. or a syrah um Maybe a Merlot. It, it, Merlots tend to be very fruity. Yeah. Um, so some Merlots are, are accessible. Again, but these are going to be a little drier, a little more uh, tannic. Um, so they're not. Uh, I really probably would recommend actually pairing those with food. It, yeah. Because again, don't just sit down with a glass of wine. Um, Especially try- red wine. Red wine, you definitely. I mean, white wine, I think, is more easy drinking than red wine by itself. Yeah, certainly. You could sit with a bottle of. I, I say, wine. having just had two glasses of Merlot <laughs> on their own. Well, but, you're a sophisticated. But wine. I'm a sophisticated wine drinker. There you go. Or wine fag, as we call ourselves. Is that different than a wine for a fag? Or? Does that mean yeah. you're gay for wine? I am gay for wine. I would say I'm gay for wine as well. Um, and then also blushes are a good one. So maybe the maybe yeah. it would be white wines. The next one would be blushes. Um, like a, what did I write down here over here? A white Zinfandel is a good one. Basically yeah. what some of the blush wines are, it's a red grape, except for they don't have, they take the red uh, skin off. So it's just the meat and there's not a lot of contact. A lot of the contact is where you get the red colors and the tannins. Uh, yeah. So it's just the, the inside fruit and the juice. Um, so go for a blush. That's not a bad one. And then work your way to some of the reds that we mentioned. This is why, like, I think, like, white Zinfandel is always what I associate with, like, that's what people's moms drink. Because it is sort of like the, it's a wine that non-wine drinkers will drink. Yeah. Get it in a classy box. Yeah. Put it in the a la Kevin Smith. The best-selling wine in the world. Um, if you want to look for a specific blush or rosé, uh, Little Penguin has a rosé of Syrah. Or it's a rosé of Shiraz. Shiraz and Syrah are basically the same wine, but depending on where it comes from, that's why it's it's hard to keep them straight. So if we use them interchangeably, that'll happen. Uh, another another one, if you're going to a good, like, nice, affordable, not-too-bad table red, which is easier on the palate if you're not into, like, the dark, bitter sort of wines, uh, Yellowtail does a Shiraz Grenache. Uh, it comes in sort of this, like, bright, like, magenta label. It's probably like eight bucks. Uh, I would probably serve it with like pasta or something again, like with food. But that was like my standard, like to make sure I at least have a bottle of wine in the house. Like that would be what I would have around. And I think that's a pretty easy drinking red wine that's affordable. I think KM and I should have our own little wine show here. Oh yeah, we have a wine corner. It's like every unsheathed has our ten minute wine. God, my housemate just went up to Napa the other day, and like I was invited, but I was busy. 
Uh, I picked up this amazing uh, cab two weeks, three weeks ago uh, up there. Um, Hawk, I think it was. Oh, really? It was really good. Oh, God. He picked up a bottle of the Late Harvest Sauvignon Blanc from Honig. I'm going to be so excited uh, to drink awesome. that. Oh, it's one of my favorites. Which which goes into the last ones, which are the dessert wines. I talked about them a little bit. Um, dessert wines are expensive. They, they can be very expensive. Um, you don't want to get them too syrupy. One of the interesting yeah. things about dessert wines is uh, if you keep them long enough, and by long enough, like three, four, five, six years, uh, especially this uh, late harvest, um, sorry, yeah. the, uh, the honing one, it it starts out as a um, kind of a yellow, brightish yeah. sun color, but it ages into this gorgeous golden amber. Yeah, it turns color. like this nice, fierce amber color. But it the, tastes like honey and sex. It is so good. <laughs> but but by the time it gets that amber, though, it does almost become too sweet. So you, you need you need to, to you need to you need to like know when to drink it. Like let it age like a year, year and a half. I wouldn't go more than two. Yep. So that's our wine corner. You guys should have a little like wine cast. Dude, we can do it on sheath percents. And we should Kit and KM do I think, talk uh, about wine. I, I will totally Kyle do you. Is, is going to be busy for a good sure. chunk of the summer, so maybe we'll have. Dude, a we will totally do that. It'll be a great excuse for me to hang out in your your mountain bunker and get drunk with you. There you go. <laughs> thank you for asking that question, Eli. Yeah, so you, now Eli. I'm all now. I no, I actually absolutely want to do that now. So Eli, let us know when you when you uh, when you have your first bottle of wine later this year. Let us know what it is and how you liked it. Yeah. And like giving a blowjob, if you don't like it at first, don't worry. Keep trying. trying. You'll learn it. (laughs) Yes. Also, like, uh, not going to crude up this podcast any more than it already was. Uh, I I was going to say, if you want to, for reference, I took to sucking dick like a pro from moment one, so. uh. I I, I was just going to say, there's other other elements of the gay experience that also take some getting used to, but. (laughs) I tell you, don't start with the wine bottle. Yeah, not not with the wine bottle. Always more lube. <laughs> no, just don't. <laughs> Nothing involving glass ever. Uh, so apparently they did give me a question to read. Uh, I'm sorry, a letter to read. In a, I don't know if it's is a trend in Unchieved. I just haven't noticed, but it's a, a wall of text. Um, I think it's the longest one of the four. Uh, so thank you. We didn't ask you to read it backwards, so there's at least that. Uh, from Graphy. Hello, fine sirs. Once again, I think he's confusing the show, but... Uh, Mr. Kyle, Mr. KM, and Mr. Kit. Greetings from the other... <clears throat> Greetings from the other side of the pond, and then some from Finland. I was encouraged... Finland, Finland, Finland. They call it Swami. <laughs> the country where... I'm I was encouraged to write this email after sending Kyle a message about how much I was inspired after reading Isolation Play. And friendly Kyle also told me that if I had any further questions, I should relay them to the podcast. So, of course, after... Binging, I'm not binging. Sure. binging? Hmm. After binging on Unsheathed and trying to come up with some something sensible to say, I took up the offer and decided to compose a little bit of a letter for you folks. <laughs> Friendly Kyle is my good twin. <laughs> <laughs> Are you evil, Kyle? First off, an anecdote about what happened to me after listening to Unsheathed. I had a slow day at the college, and I was just relaxing on the computer and listening to a couple of episodes of the podcast. Then I just happened to find out that NASA is launching the space shuttle during the same evening, my time. Thus, I spent the evening listening to the super serious Mission Control live audio feed and cracking up the process and cracking up the process because after listening to Unsheed for a few hours and then listening to the NASA audio, my brain kept wondering when the next blowjob-related joke would show up. Unfortunately, the public affairs officer's voice didn't have the sexy twang like Kyle's, so pretty much I kept imagining it as being Mr. Hirosaki doing a funny voice. 
much collateral damage from listening to Unsheathed. No, I'm just, I love Joey Weasel, and I'm going to launch the biggest rocket ever. <laughs> now I'm just imagining the countdown. Oh, God, ten, nine, eight. <laughs> I'm sorry. Five, so four. Oh, God, no, no. One, one, one. <laughs> Lift off so close. <laughs> like a volcano. Or a guys. Oh, God, close your eyes. Close your eyes. I'm sorry. What I'm sorry. I, <laughs> what I wanted to be the main point of my email was a writing-related question. Slash food for thought. Now, I know that all writers need a kind of leaning learning period, sorry, need a kind of learning period before we can attain the skills needed to write something the others might actually enjoy reading. I personally practiced for 11 years out of my modest age of 21 before I felt confident enough with my skills to actually post something online and see what people would say about it. For much of those years of learning, I've worked on and off on a sort of hardcore sci-fi. Is that like hardcore porn or i think it's more as opposed to soft sci-fi right like kim stanley robinson instead of star trek mm. i'll go with the hardcore porn sci-fi story um, um, yeah otherwise why he'd be listening to unsheathed kim stanley robinson as opposed to ursula Le Guin. ursula oh. Le Guin's who i always go to for soft sci-fi oh, okay all right isn't mr asimov the george uh, lucas asimov's like the hard the hard, hard sci-fi, yeah. Yeah. hardcore hardcore sci-fi clark <clears throat> clark is more softy uh, uh, yeah, he's, kind of, he's, he's more about he's human condition. Yeah. yeah, he's he's like middle of the road. Um, I've never shown that's a hardcore sci-fi story, which I've never shown to anyone, nor ever tried to even think that it could be something I'd share. I only have material for about two years back, and I'm bound to cringe at it because of the level of quality was obviously developed for. E- Wait, I said that weird. Because the level of quality has obviously developed from even that. Let alone if I should go further. That aside, I would like to pose the question to you folks. <clears throat> it's all bold. How long did you enjoy writing just for yourselves before you felt confident enough to try and see what others liked about it? What kind of stuff did you work on, and do you consider that work an old shame, to quote TV tropes, or something you can regard with fondness, the likes of, ah, I used to write like that. That was my letter relating, that was my writing-related question. I could go on making a whole load of questions about isolation play, such as how it left so many red herrings out in the open, but I'd like to... I'd like more to be remembered as having actually said something productive and useful. So I'll keep those happily to myself. I'd like to send the best wishes to all three of, I'd like to send the best wishes to all of you there, especially Mr. Kit. Thank you. Whom I keep imagining as this figure sitting behind his computer with headphones and face palming quietly every now and then. I'll cut the compl- probably more often than you think. Actually, It's multiple times each episode. I'll cut the complimentary OMG crap out of the end of this message and just say thanks and cheers. Graffy. I think Graffy is a first-time writer. I believe he is. Thank you for writing, Graffy. Um, and he's perfectly free to send questions. Uh, we appreciate him keeping the isolation play questions off the podcast because I usually just answer those on my journal or, or whatever. And we don't really we try to spend time talking about more gener- generic yeah. general well, plus we don't want to spoil it for right people topics. who have not read it i yeah. will say at the very beginning of the episode where he read the the introductory salutation where he said i was inspired after reading isolation play my mind still blown it's like oh right isolation play is like actually out now and people can and spend like that for like half a year and I, I was so used to it just being this book that you were working on for the longest time that i forget that people have actually read it yeah wait till whatever the collations book comes out that's gonna be even more confusing because oh my god such a long run-up to it yeah um yeah what actually what kind of amazes me is i'm like oh yeah isolation play was just released this year because it feels like forever ago but it was really it was just january 
Yeah. And I, I, I'm so far away from that world now. And not 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 forever. Yeah. I'm Fuck going you, Devin Lee. You're done. And I'm going back. No, no. I'm actually having I'm actually having fun with the plotting for the third book. Um. So, but anyway, so uh, feel free to send me your isolation play questions. I, I post them to my live journal every now and then, and an- when people yeah. send me them in private, I'll answer them in public. But yeah. Um, send him the questions don't send the podcast the questions right I didn't write isolation play and Kyle at kylegold.com I'm painfully aware that I don't have Kyle's eight <sighs> novels out in the market so don't make me feel bad but how do you guys feel about his question <laughs> um how long was I writing just for myself you know um I was writing the first the first story I can remember writing and finishing was in college, and I wrote and finished it because we had a. I, I fell in with some people who were doing a science fiction magazine, and they said, Hey, we need a story. And I said, Hey, I think I can write a story. So, technically, uh, I have no idea how I. Oh, you know, I did write some stuff before that that I didn't show people, um, but it was it wasn't a very long time. Um, but I don't know. I'd always uh, I'd always just enjoyed writing, and I thought, you know, here was a supportive group of friends, and I showed them the story, and they thought it was good enough to put in the magazine. So, um, it certainly wasn't eleven years. Oh, God. For me, I remember writing stories from myself as early as elementary school. I remember in fourth grade, we had these little computers that they let us take home for an afternoon. And it was it was basically just a, a uh, over-glorified word processor. I don't even remember what kind it oh, was. I remember those. It was it was clunky. It was it, it it looked like a modern laptop, only it weighed about like twenty pounds. Was it a Wang? Uh, it might have been. <laughs> Believe it or not, there was a manufacturer of computer equipment who went by the name Wang. Oh yeah, my housemate collects Wangs. Very. <laughs> he also <laughs> loves cock too. <laughs> like really. Anyway, but no, like that was like fourth grade, and actually the story I wrote was about a talking dog. I believe it was called the Talking Dog. In fact, nice. It was about like me and my friend down the street and his dog and his dog learned how to talk. So yeah, right at the gate, furry. Um, I remember writing stories in middle school and printing them out and just bringing them to school with me. And people ask me like, "Oh, what's this?" Like, "Oh, it's a story I wrote." They're like, "Oh, what class is this for?" And I'm like, "It's not." And they're like, "Why would you write something that's not for class?" And I'm like, "Cause I wanted to." Did you share them with people? I, a few people. Oh god, that was the other thing. <laughs> When I was in, like, high school and whatnot, I would be writing on the computer, and, like, any time... And, all right, I want to point out, this is before the internet, all right? This is pre-internet, so I'm dating myself. Like, I know a lot of people, when you were, like, 16, 17, you were probably used to this, but, like, any time, like, my parents would walk by when I was on the computer, I'd reach out and stab the monitor button and turn the monitor... This is back when monitors had separate buttons. Right. Um, (laughs) 
And I would turn my monitor off. If you have desktop. Yeah, but I would turn the monitor off when they were walking by so they couldn't see me. And like it was like super suspicious. And they're like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm writing something and I don't want you to see it. And they'd be like, okay. And like, you know, I'm sure there's plenty of people where it's like, oh, God, porn, click. But it wasn't even that because we didn't have the internet. Right. We had to find old copies of Hustler that, like, you know, crazy people would leave up in the park. Yeah. Um, I didn't even have that. I didn't have a park near my school where people, crazy people would leave porn. It only happened like I can't remember what I did for porn. Oh, yeah, I read science fiction books. My uncle had some uh, nudie playing cards in his basement, so we would go over to his house and look at those. My parents until, until, until all the parents found basement. us and made us all sit down and have an awkward chat. Um, so what about you, Kit? Did you ever share any of your early writing with people? A few of our listeners have asked what you write, and I think we've told them from time to time, but you, yeah, you have to do a lot, but you've done some. I've written some short stories. Um, I actually graduated with a creative writing degree, which I realized I qualified me for absolutely nothing. Mm. Um, yeah, maybe my parents. I actually specifically don't recall. Um, there wasn't a lot of venues where I could kind of show it to people, um, so, and by the time I, I was at the point where I was writing more, it was in college where you had to show it to people. So, right. um, yeah, I think that I kind of went directly into that. Cool. Yeah. And, and I kind of view my old work with fondness. I mean, I go back and look at some of the old store, older stories I wrote and I, I cringe at some of the stylistic parts of them, but I still like the cores of the story. Um, the stories obviously had some kind of appeal or, um, meaning to me for um, for me to sit down and spend the time to write them, especially back when writing was a little more of a struggle than, um, than it is now, um, which I say only because I've practiced a lot. So I still have on an external hard drive my first attempt at a novel from like over 10 years ago. I tried writing it three times. I had like three partial drafts done. It's terrible. Yeah. I will never let anyone read it. I, I go back and look at it and I like face palm. But, you know, every so often I will pull it up and read it. And just like, it, it, it's funny to see what I did know how to do right back then. Like, there are things that I do. It's like, I didn't think I knew that that long ago. Yeah. And then a lot of it's just like, oh, God, no. Yeah, I've too. Also, you can really tell that I was like just still coming to terms with my sexuality when you're reading it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I have two novel drafts that I've <sighs> I've shown various people, but they're not in any state that I would ever publish them. And going back to <sighs> make them publishable would essentially mean I'd have to rewrite them. And I've got too many other things that I'm excited about writing. So. Yeah, this this one here. If I ever did try to go back and rewrite it, it's not something I'm interested. It's not a story I'm interested in telling. Right, right. Although someone does die in it. There you go. Somebody falls down the stairs and breaks their neck. And another person gets, like, separated from his friend. I, I'll tell you a little bit, pieces of it. So you have these two best friends in high school. This is before they're gay for each other. They don't discover they're gay for each other until later. Unlike a lot of furry stories where that's the first thing they discover, that's not until, like, way later. But 
one of them, he's the, the fox is the new kid in school and he doesn't have a lot of friends, but he has this one wolf friend. And then there's like the other wolf bully who's picking on him and he like, keeps like picking on him and picking on him. And like the other friend like doesn't step in and eventually there's like, he's like shoving around in the bathroom. And so the fox just like goes nuts and tackles him and like starts like slashing at him with his claws and actually takes this bully wolf's eye out. And so he wow. gets like, his, basically his parents like send him to reform school in another country. Wow. And, like, the two of them, the fox and the wolf, they end up, like, at different times dating the same girl because she's part of a military family and she moves around. So they both date the same girl and don't know it and that they don't find this out until after they're gay for each other. And I don't know where the rest of the story was supposed to go from there. Wow. Although the, the girl that the guy, that the wolf originally had a crush on when he met this fox boy, like, she ends up slipping down the stairs and breaking her neck in a freak accident for no reason. Nice. Her name her name was Rosalind. She was a squirrel. <laughs> I would think they'd be more delicate on their feet. Squirrels. It's just more like, I'm going to kill her to make this character suffer. Wow. Even from a young age, that was my thing. Okay. That's the thing, though. All right. Remember how I went through and counted my stories for how many were sad and how many were uh-huh. miserable? So again, I made a I made a tweet about how my story in the anthology that's coming out at Anthrocon uh Oh, actually, no, it's one that's in Heat, uh, which is also coming to Anthrocon, and it's an anthology, sort of. But uh, <laughs> I tweeted that it's probably one of the Hirosakiest stories I've ever written. And then, like, a bunch of people asked, like, oh, so how many people die? First of all, when you explain the joke, it's not funny. Uh, but <laughs> I went through and... Thanks, Twitter. Yeah, thanks, Twitter. Thumbs up. But I went through and I looked at my SoFurry slash Yostar account because the stories have all carried over. And I have 46 stories on there. Like, there's one story that's on there where somebody dies. And she doesn't even die. She gets turned into a statue. So I don't know why I have this reputation for killing off characters. I don't think except so for much, the Except for the squirrel who broke her neck in a story I never finished. I don't think it's so much killing off the characters. At least not physically. No, but, but, no, but people say right, But the point is people say. Hearts. Yeah. No, I have a reputation for killing off characters, and I don't even do that. No, you don't. I will say that in both of the unpublished novels, people died. Yeah. Good on you. Did anyone lose an eye from a fox just trying to defend himself? No. Uh. No. Okay. <laughs> um. So, that's the yes, kit. You can you can talk, you know. Oh yeah, so we're at about the sixty minute mark, so let's uh <laughs> let's wrap this up. Kid kid is still making hand signals there. I do, do want to save this of his fourth email for another issue. Yeah, we're gonna, we're going to save it. It's a good one. It Although is. it would be great because this would have been two emails in the same episode where you got called sly. It, it is. Um, the the greeting in this one was slick and sly, which is very nicely actually assonant. So. Um, do you remember the old s- slip, slip and, and slide, slide. Yes, jingle? I was just thinking that. Yeah. Slick, slick and slide. Sorry. Right. We can again. Kid, right? No such thing as not enough loop. So I was going to say, like, like, slick and slide. Loop. That's just like, wh- where, where's my greeting? <laughs> oh. Ba-dum-tch. Boosh. Ah. Oh. I have been Kam Hirosaki. You can find me on Twitter, LiveJournal, and FA as Kam Hirosaki. And I'm Kyle Gold on Twitter, Kyle Gold on LiveJournal, Kyle on FA. And uh, this is Kit, uh, Kit Silver on Twitter, kit at kylegold.com for email. 
And you can email our podcast at unsheathedpodcast at gmail.com. We promise to read your letter at some time in the following two years. Don't make that promise. Okay, we don't promise to read your letter. We'll try our best. Um, I did my best. Occasionally, we're going to have to, I think, do another lightning round sometime in the next, uh, well, probably sometime early, late summer, early fall to catch up again because people sent us a whole crap load of emails in May. Um, Anyway, thank you for your letters. We've enjoyed the show. Thank you, Kit, for joining us on mic this time. Thank you. For this is an informative episode. It is always lovely to hear your voice, and we look forward to your wine episode. We look forward to the pit show next time. Um, this is Kyle Gold wishing you good night and keep writing.